all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. joining us today it's time for southern remedy healthy and fit on mpb think radio i'm your host dr josie bidwell associate professor of preventive medicine and nurse practitioner at the university of mississippi medical center today we're going to be taking your questions and comments about health related issues we're also going to cover some of the headlines that have been coming out about covid over the past week or so If you have a question or a comment for us, you can give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Our email is fit at mpbonline.org. Or you can interact with us over on Facebook um, at Healthy Habits with Josie. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Josie. Hope you're doing well this morning. I am. I am. Uh, you know, we're, we're virtual learning. And so that, you know, is always great on a Monday morning, some virtual learning. But we're <laughs> we're adjusting to our new normal and in, in getting uh, virtual learning up and going. And I know a lot of students are going back into the physical classroom today or they went at the end of the week last week. And so, you know, we just kind of keep all of them, everybody, parents, teachers, administrators, students, just all in our thoughts and prayers. We know that's a, a hard, a hard time, regardless of what decisions um, are being made about how to educate your child. You know, I support your decisions, what whatever they are, making them work however you can for your family. So, Josie, you mentioned that you're, I think, you're homeschooling your kids, and I, I, my friend and I took an adventure this weekend that also might be educational for you or any other parents there that are maybe supplementing uh, um, their children's education. We went to the Petrified Forest in uh, Florida. Fun! I yeah. have not been. I had so never been either and always heard about it, uh, but it would be a good science lesson, that's for sure. And, that, and that's great. You know, that's, um, you know, being new to homeschooling, it, you know, kind of feel like a fish out of water a little bit trying to figure out um, what to do we're using a a great curriculum though that you know has it laid out for us but again looking for ways to get them off the computer and out of the house um, you know just to reinforce the concepts that that they're learning so that is great and Florida's not you know that's not bad of a drive um, from us either so that's an excellent opportunity for that and I saw your pictures this weekend and I actually mentioned it to my husband and he said you know I've always wanted to go um, to that so I think that we'll definitely add that to our kind of field trip list just to get out of the house and get uh, get out and going around if there's any listeners out there who have some other great places that you have found that your kids have enjoyed or that you enjoy and you recommend for, for others to kind of get out and see the beauty of our state. We'd love for you to send those in. I keep a list of great places to, to try. Um, and I really appreciate 
uh, your uh, dedication to getting out on the weekends and, and really, you know, getting out, breathing the fresh air, appreciating the state and getting some physical activity in. You know, I can't tell you how many um, patients that I work with now that, um, you know, say I was doing great before the pandemic, you know, I was exercising, I was going to the gym, I was doing all these kinds of things. And it's just kind of slid backwards a little bit, you know, and that is, is to be expected. You know, we kind of got thrown completely out of our routines, but, you know, I think this is going to be our, you know, our new normal for the foreseeable future. So we've, we've got to make new routines and get those established. And so pretty much every Saturday morning when I get on Facebook, I'm like, well, let's see where Kevin is this weekend. It's like my own version of where's Waldo. <laughs> just to see what little adventures you are going on today. So I've had um, several questions that have come in, um, a couple by email and one or two over on Facebook. And so I thought, I think it'll be a good idea to kind of address some of those today. Cause if one person has the question, then lots of people have the question. Um, and some of them are just regular health related and some are COVID related. And so this question asked, um, I keep seeing the term R naught or R zero um, mentioned. What exactly is that and how is it calculated? And so we've talked about um, R naught on this, uh, on the show before um, as a measure of kind of really how fast or how far the infection spreads, not in terms of actual droplet spread, but it's kind of the average number of people that one infected person can infect. So um, when we're looking at that number in terms of epidemiology and looking at disease outbreaks, a number above one kind of means that it, it's, it's, it's growing, right? You know, each person on average can infect one or more people. When it's below one, we start to kind of say, oh, well, we're getting a little bit better control um, of that particular, of this particular outbreak. And there are several different things that, that go into the calculation of that number, but some of the things are kind of how long the incubation period is. And we've talked about what incubation period is before. That's kind of the, uh, from the time of exposure of illness um, into when symptoms develop. And, you know, the, the problem with COVID is that it's a little bit longer incubation period than some of our other respiratory illnesses. You know, we tend to think about um, the flu and the seasonal influenza as that incubation period only being, you know, a day or two. And so usually by the time you're you know, exposed and then you get sick, you've been not as many places to kind of spread it around. But with COVID, you know, we're, we're anywhere from two to 14 days, but the vast majority of people somewhere around five to seven days for, um, for that incubation period, that's a lot more movement that people have had, right? So it's a lot more contact tracing that has to happen. You know, prior to, to this, um, if you asked me to, to think about everywhere I went and everyone I interacted with for you know, that happened five to seven days ago, that would be very hard. Um, you know, much easier for me now. I don't, I don't, I don't go many places. I go to work and I go home. Um, so that, that's about all I've got. Um, but it is just much harder to do. And so 
that, you know, takes into account um, uh, some of that, uh, you know, as well as things like um, the mode of transmission that's going to affect how the R naught is calculated, right? Something is transmitted by respiratory secretions and respiratory droplets, that's going to have a different spread than maybe something that's the foodborne illness. So kind of all of those things play into looking at that R naught number and judging where we are. And there's a great um, website that I'll push out over on my Facebook page that kind of updates every couple, usually daily, but sometimes a little slower on the weekends that has what the, what that calculation is for each state so that you can kind of see um, how, how we're doing uh, in that particular area. Um, so it's just a great supplement in addition to the numbers that we get um, sent from the health department uh, every day or posted on their Facebook page or on their website. So it's a great way to kind of keep track of what is going on there. The second piece that I want to talk about um, is especially important right now with the return to school. And that's the concept of asymptomatic spread. And so what does it mean to be asymptomatic? Uh, Well, usually that means that you have the infection. So if we swabbed your nose and did the, the PCR testing, you would be COVID positive, but you don't have any symptoms or maybe even symptoms that are so vague and mild that you don't perceive them as, as symptoms of the infection. That's kind of what asymptomatic is. And so can we still spread the infection when we don't have symptoms? And the answer is yes. And that is for lots of different kinds of respiratory infections. The flu has asymptomatic spread as well. But the difference between the two is how much. So with the seasonal influenza, the number of cases that can kind of be attributable to asymptomatic spread are somewhere around 5 to 25%. With COVID, and of course, any data we have about COVID is it's rapidly changing as we learn more and more about it, but somewhere between 10 and 40% by asymptomatic spread. So it's kind of a, a much... Um, bigger issue when we talk about COVID and that the fact that people who are not symptomatic can still spread that. And the reason I wanted to, to talk about it was because of a news article that uh, I read last night that actually had, it was in Oklahoma, a child or teenager, I believe, um, was COVID positive, but was asymptomatic and so went to school um, because they were under the notion that Um, If they were asymptomatic, they could not spread it. And so, of course, close contacts of that that student have now been quarantined and and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, really make sure that you are paying attention to the fact that you are still contagious, even if you don't feel bad. Um, And so make sure that you abide by the the quarantine guidelines of your your state, um, of your school and those different types of things there, because it's really important to to get control of this because while you may be asymptomatic, someone with a, you know, a weaker immune system or someone really that we don't know about any risk factors for them may not do as well with COVID. So it's really important that if you're infected um, or if you're waiting on a test result, that's the other piece. If you've had a test 
and you're waiting on the results, don't be, don't be going places uh, until we know what that um, result is. Um, so, you know, just a, just a little, little extra love for me today on that and a little extra reinforcement on that. If you guys have a question or a comment for us, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 I also got a question about uh, hospital bed availability and was that getting better? And so um, the, the health department has actually has a, like a new link on their website. Um, and so it has hospital bed availability by hospital, which is really great. So there's that standard chart that they have out there uh, that looks at, uh, you know, that gives you kind of the number of people in the hospital, the number of people in the hospital with suspected infection, the number of ventilators, the number of ICU, you know, that kind of stuff has been out for a while. Um, it's the chart that's kind of got the four lines on it in different colors. Um, but now is actual bed availability um, or, or bed usage by institution or by hospital. And so when you click on that particular link, the first thing it shows you is actually overall um, bed availability in the state. And so it will show you how many staffed beds we have in the state um, and then how many are available for a patient and how many ICU beds are available for a patient. And when we say staffed bed, that means that for that room with a bed in it, there is a qualified healthcare provider to provide care in that bed. Um, and so then you can break it down by individual hospital if you want to look at. And so I went this morning just to look at those numbers. Um, and now these were updated on the 14th. So these are current through Friday. Uh, and that we had 1,894 beds and 169 ICU beds available. That sounds pretty good. Um, and of course, it is much better than we were, you know, a week and a half ago. Uh, but it's important to look at where those beds are in terms of where you may be um, or what hospital hospitals you would, would utilize. Um, so I just, you know, picked a couple in the metro, um, looked at St. Dominic. It looked like they were having about two ICU beds available. Baptist was still sitting at zero and UMC was still sitting at zero. So, you know, if you're interested in, in seeing those numbers, you know, see where your hospital is um, in the area that you're at, and you'll know a little bit, a little bit more about the hospital availability in your area. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. And I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're answering your questions and comments today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring You can interact with me over on Facebook at Healthy Habits with Josie as well. And we're going to hop on over to the phone lines as we have uh, Noni, who is on the road holding for us. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm well, thank you, and thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a question about a lab value. Okay. Um, About uh, two years ago, uh, I had labs done, and I had an uh, elevated alkaline phosphatase. Okay. Uh, It was not addressed. Uh, About a year later, it was still elevated. I believe that number is 150. It was okay. recommended that I go to a uh, GI physician, and I'm lucky I, I have one. And um, he did uh, some liver enzymes and, again, elevated alkaline phosphatase and a liver scan, and it showed that I did not have a fatty liver. So what are... What, I do not know what are the ramifications, if you will, of uh, an elevated alkaline phosphatase and what might bring it down. So kudos to the the amount of workup that you've had so far because it's all been appropriate. Um, So alkaline phosphatase, it's a blood test that we look at and it is measuring... um, a substance that is found in several areas. So alkaline phosphatase can be in the bone um, and liver are the, are the two big areas. And so anytime we see kind of a bump in, in the alkaline phosphatase, then we think, is this bone, is this liver? And so usually in an adult, it is something liver related. Um, in kiddos, we see alkaline phosphatase elevated very, very frequently, and that's normal because they're growing, and so their bones are growing rapidly, and so you'll see an elevated alkaline phosphatase. We don't usually see that that much in adults. And so looking at the other liver enzymes, which you mentioned they did, as well as then scanning the liver, because that's what I see a lot, um, is when I see uh, adults who have just a slightly elevated alkaline phosphatase, which at 150, that's not not too high, um, then a lot of times it's fatty liver. So you mentioned that, you know, it's not fatty liver there. Um, I'm assuming they did not kind of give you any further workup or decide on anywhere to go there. Uh, One thing I would ask is kind of, are you postmenopausal? Like have, uh, have you had a, yes. Okay. Um, Have you had a bone density or anything like that to look at kind of osteoporosis or osteopenia or anything like that? Uh, about 10 years ago, I did. Okay, okay. Because, you know, if it's not liver, then we, then we start to think about, is it is it bone? 
And so, you know, sometimes with osteoporosis and bones that are kind of um, turning over a little bit more quickly, then we'll, we'll see that go up. So, you know, if it's been 10 years since your last bone density, that's a good place to, to start. Um, and I'm assuming you have a regular primary care provider. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, just like you asked me, I would ask them as well. So, you know, I'm concerned that this number is up and has kind of been staying up. My liver looks okay. Is there anything else um, that we need to be concerned about? Or are we just going to monitor it? You know, and so every six months or so, we get that level checked and see what's going on there. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate your help. You're so welcome. And you be safe driving on the road, okay? Yes, ma'am. Have a lovely <laughs> day. And thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for giving us a call and thanks for listening. And guys, if you have a question or a comment for us, you can give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Um, You can send us an email if you prefer that way. If you just don't want to hear your voice on the radio, that's okay. Um, It's fit at mpbonline.org. Or as I mentioned earlier, you're welcome anytime to send me a a message over on Facebook at Healthy Habits with Josie. And we'll do our best to get to that on the air. All right. I think we do have a caller that we're going to get to. We're going to go to Bay Springs and talk with Jean. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I have noticed, and maybe I've already addressed this. I, I don't okay. Know. I've noticed that a lot of people, especially people that are working in stores, are wearing their masks on their mouth and under their nose. Mm. And it drives me nuts. <laughs> you know, I don't, and I notice a lot of people are still wearing those uh, masks that, that don't do anything. You know, they're they're um, pretty much, they, they, they think maybe they're doing something, but they're not. You know, those kind mm. of pull up from the neck. Um, the gator. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wondered, I've seen, I've, I've seen conflicts in stores where people go berserk, and I don't want to do that, but I was wondering if there's something I could say to them that would not be ugly, but kind of give them the, kind of steer them the right way. You know what I mean? Give them a nudge. Give them a nudge. (laughs) Well, you know, unfortunately, um, we haven't, sometimes we see people react very, very um, not great, even when it's a gentle nudge that's not being meant to, um, to be rude. So kind of my, my stance on it is, I'm just trying to lead by example. So I make sure I have my mask on and I have it on correctly. Um, You know, I think some of the issues that people are having with the masks is if they don't fit them well, Um, when they talk, um, sometimes it, it, the chin actually stretches the mask and makes it kind of inch its way down underneath their nose. And then we've talked to people about not touching the outside of their mask. And so then, then they're trying to decide, well, do I, do I fix it? Do I put it back up over my nose? And then I've touched it and, you know, these different kinds of things. So I'm trying to give people, um, some grace and some love and, um, you know, hand sanitizer if they need it (laughs) to, to keep available for that. But it does need to be 
uh, worn correctly to be effective um, over the nose, over the mouth, um, and, and correctly, correctly sized for, for the face there. And, you know, there's so many different ones out there um, that can be kind of customized to your face. Uh, my sweet mama sewed me some that are just made for my little tiny face because my face is just smaller than the average adult female. I don't know what that says about me, but it's a small face. So um, she made me some kid-sized ones, and they, they fit me um, much better there. Um, but, you know, I'm hesitant to tell you to, to speak up because we don't know how people are going to respond to that. So I would say just kind of lead by example and, and wear your mask as effectively um, a, as you can do um, and be an example for others there. Right. Well, um, one more thing. Um, sure. The nurse that I work with at the animal shelter, she says, she says a mask only protects others when I wear it, and I said I, it protects me too. Is it? You know, you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I do, I do. And so, with COVID, the primary, uh, the surgical masks, okay, or the cloth masks, their primary role is to protect others. So I wear my mask to protect you and hopefully you wear your mask to protect me. Um, the N95 masks that are specially fitted for healthcare providers and that we wear in the hospital are, are designed to not let things in, so to speak. And so they, they protect the wearer um, as well as protecting other people out there. So that's kind of why we ask everybody to wear a surgical mask or a cloth mask because it takes me wearing mine to protect you and you wearing yours to protect me. Um, but at the same time, you can only control your behavior. And so you wearing your mask is better than both of you not wearing a mask at all. looks like it would protect you uh, at least a little bit. You know? It does as a physical barrier, as a physical barrier. Absolutely. Right. It's going to stop some things and that kind of stuff. But its primary job is, is to protect the other people, but absolutely. And there's a great little chart that kind of shows the percent um, chance of infection if nobody is masked, if only one person is masked, and then if both people are masked. So absolutely, it, it does protect the wearer to some degree, but it takes somebody else wearing their mask as well. If, if everybody would wear a mask, we could whip this thing down, right? It, it would go a very, very long way to getting much, uh, much better control of the situation. So, absolutely. All right, Jean, thank you so much for giving us a call today. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. We've been answering your questions and comments today, a lot about COVID and answering questions over from my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie as well. And you're free to interact with me there anytime, not even, not just when we're on the air. I'm happy to take those questions anytime. Um, and our number is one mpb ring if you want to get on the line with us today. And we're going to go over to those phone lines and talk with Rebecca and Jackson. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. Um, I was listening to your show and the lady that called in before about the, um, the liver enzyme, um, the fatty yeah. liver. Okay. I'm a uh, bone mass um, stage four um, cancer patient, and mm-hmm. I watch my blood work really, at, you know, very meticulously. And I was wondering, because that ALK is always up, and my last test and showed that I had fatty liver disease. And I get PET scans twice a year for the last four years since mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with the stage mm-hmm. four bone mess. Mm-hmm. So I'm, well, I guess my question is, in your professional opinion, um, is that caused by the drugs I'm on or is it caused by the, by the, uh, the calcium? Because um, I have... Um, Sometimes I get hypercalcemia, and right, um, right. when I was doing the nutritional supplements, doing my D and my calcium, and I had to get off of that, and mm-hmm. I recently fractured my back. So it's that when they, because I never had fatty liver before, so I guess my mm-hmm. question to you is, what can I do as far as nutrition goes, or is there anything I can do, I guess, to help with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So excellent question. And I deal, I work with a lot of fatty liver patients. Um, and of course the word fatty liver, it kind of just kind of sounds mean, uh, it's it's a terrible name. There's a, a, a more medical sounding name. Um, and, and usually if we're talking about fat, fat deposits in the liver, from a non-alcoholic source, it's called NASH, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. And so um, absolutely there's something that can be done from a nutritional standpoint. What we know looking at the evidence is that um, weight reduction, if we're overweight, can help uh-huh. with um, fatty liver. And so usually the GI folks that refer to me are asking us to do a 10% weight reduction in patients. Um, to help with with the fatty liver there. Awesome! So well, that's a great idea. Yeah. Because I'm yeah, so, overweight. Go ahead. Because I'm 30 pounds overweight because mm-hmm. I haven't been able to do the things that I normally mm-hmm. do, and then I just started a new yoga class, a chair yoga class. Right. And so I'm hoping that I can lose some of this weight, and um, mm-hmm. and that would help. It, you know, I would definitely. I mean, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So we've got, you know, usually I set a smaller goal to start with. I usually recommend about 5% um, total body weight reduction to start with, just because I believe in uh, building confidence and setting small, small steps on the way to getting to where we ultimately want to be. Of course, anytime um, you're considering, you know, weight reduction um, and changing diet for that, 
please, please, please talk with your oncologist, um, right. and your regular doctor to make sure that, that, that they want you to do that. Um, and right. that that would be beneficial for you, but that is usually the, the recommended treatment for fatty liver is, um, about a 10% total body weight reduction. Oh, awesome. through diet. Well, I, really, I, I really appreciate your advice and, um, yes, you know, I'm doing great. My last three PET scans showed that the cancer cells are dormant, you know, they're not reproducing, mm-hmm. they're, they're inactive. Excellent. So, um, you know, for a small window of overall survival rate in the beginning, I'm going, going from that to four years survival. And I'm really feeling pretty good, except the last time with the fatty liver diagnosis. And I'm like, yeah. oh, gosh. I'm doing so well and with the cancer, the bone cancer, so how can I help this? But I really appreciate your advice. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for giving us a call. Stay safe. All right, we're going to go to Mobile and talk with John. Good morning, John. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking the call. Sure. Uh, I, I have a very basic question concerning this COVID business. I'd like to okay. know what the incubation time is, as to say, between the time you're exposed and your first signs of some fever or whatever this took right. for that's come down with the um, with the virus. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so days. What are we talking? Yeah. So uh, when it, when we first started knowing about it, you know, we were looking at, of course, data coming from China, coming from Europe and those kinds of places. And um, it is a much longer incubation than, say, the seasonal influenza. Um, that's why we kind of have that 14-day quarantine if you've been exposed or, or, or you have symptoms, um, because um, it can take up to 14 days, although most people, it does not take that long. Um, it's hitting around an average of about five to seven days um, for people to develop. Anywhere from two to 14 uh, days with an average of in between five to seven days for that incubation period. Five to seven days. That, that's five to seven I, days. And the first symptoms you usually see, what are they? Is it headache or is it shortness of breath or cough? What is it? Well, you know, it's so variable from person to person. Um, I've had um, some folks that, you know, I've known or um, taken care of that their first symptom was um, muscle aches or back pain, something like that. Um, I've had some that say fever was their first symptom. Um, Some that it was kind of a, a, just a every now and then cough that just kind of increased in frequency over the day. Um, some people complained of sore throat, um, and then some people, their kind of only symptom is that loss of smell and loss of taste. Um, and then there are some GI symptoms as well. So some folks have had diarrhea, um, nausea, vomiting, that kind of stuff, mostly diarrhea. Um, but it's a pretty pretty variable thing in there. But shortness of breath, cough, fever, headache, muscle aches, um, loss of uh, taste and smell, and then some some GI upset are the are the most commonly reported ones out there. Okay, that's the information I want. Y'all take care. All right, well, absolutely. Thank you so much for calling us today. All right, we're going to continue on talking to people named John and go to Macomb. Good morning, John. Yes, ma'am. How you doing? I can't complain. What can I help you with today? Uh, well, I, I heard this gentleman call, uh, not the last caller you had, the one before, I think, uh, he was asking about this 
he had a question about the COVID. And uh uh-huh. yeah, that that's what I'm concerned about. The the a question about the COVID. Is um Okay. It's kinda like uh, you know, like if you're in Walmart, uh some big area, they say well they say six feet apart in right. different areas, but but this atmosphere within the store, they say you can kinda like get that stuff through the air up in there from the mm. ventilation or something. That's not so, is it? Right. So, all right, so let's let's break it down a little bit. The primary transmission is by respiratory droplet, okay? And droplets by nature are heavier than aerosolized particles. And so when somebody coughs or sneezes them or spits them or whatever out, they don't go a super far distance and they usually fall out of the air. Now, there are some people that perhaps when they sneeze or when they cough, um, they're part of, they release, and they're not masked, they release some smaller particles that can hang around in the air for longer. Um, also, different materials that are used for um, the face mask, in particular the fleece material, tends to make the particles stay in the air for longer. Now, to uh-huh. what degree does that get into, uh, you know, an air duct like something big like Walmart? Um, I, I, you know, I don't know uh, for that particular thing, but that's the point of everyone wearing a mask in there as well as the physical distancing so that those droplets fall out of the air before they get to you. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to hold you long. Just the second part of this question. Uh, sure. Um, say like, uh, if the droplets is in there, if you breathe, mm-hmm. okay, I got that point, what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. Same point about the droplets in the air. Okay, mm-hmm. they said put the, the mask on. You got your mouth covered. You got your nose covered. But mm-hmm. what about your eyes? Your eyes is a wet area, and the pot droplets falling out of the air can attach to your eye. I mean, what, what about right. that? So that's why there's the recommendation now, especially for folks who are not able to maintain distance, Um, that they wear some type of eye protection. So a goggle or um, a face shield, something like that. So for me, when I go into clinic, even if I'm not working with a COVID positive patient, um, we still wear the mask. And then I have some some very cool scientist goggles that I wear um, because I have to get closer than six feet um, to individuals. But for the the general, go ahead. Well, I, I think it'll be a good point then for me and my family. I'm going to tell my family. If anybody else is listening might ought to tell their family, uh, if you're outside, okay, that's just do as you've been doing. But if you go in a crowded area or store or Walmart or grocery, you know, some major mm-hmm. grocery store or whatever, just have an extra pair of goggles clear goggles. I'm going to start doing it myself. I mean, I'm going to find me some average, nice-looking ones, and I'm going to wear them, right? Just make sure anything that that you're doing like that, that when you're taking them off, that you wipe them down with, you know, like a a Clorox wipe or, you know, alcohol wipe, something like that, um, and then wash your hands um, as well. Okay? Thank you, ma'am. 
I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. We've been answering your questions today. A lot of them have been COVID-related, and we're happy to continue to do that. You can give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring or you can interact with me over on Facebook at Healthy Habits with Josie. We're going to go on over to the phone lines and talk with Mary in Coldwater. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. How are you today? I am just fine. You have the sweetest voice. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. <laughs> Thank you for uh, being so kind. I think you have a great voice, too. I have a, I call I, it. I, I, <laughs> go ahead. You, you call it what? I call it my radio voice. My kids say that doesn't sound like me, but. <laughs> oh. Well, I, I know. My husband, was. we were in media for years and years, and I, I understand. But the, I, think, I think I've got a good idea, and it's served me well so far. Um, okay. about masks and what it is is um the the germs travel in globules of water right in in the simple sense yeah in droplets of of respiratory secretions but water yes. sounds much less gross but yes okay all right so um i've taken an adult diaper and turned it sideways and i flip it over my head with putting my head through both the holes and um, and the whole thing fits fits across my nose very well because of the elastic, and it mm-hmm. goes up right under my chin, and it's waterproof. So why isn't that a good idea? Um, hmm. So I like the waterproof aspect of it. Um, it's pretty thick, so it might impair. You know, it might make some people feel a little bit more claustrophobic. And I don't know that there has been. Um, any testing to see how well that that filters. Um, right. I, ha- I mean, I would imagine somebody's done it. So I'll do a little digging to see if there's any, uh, you know, any studies to say how well that fi- filters or how well that protects um, anything like that. But that's an interesting thought. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to keep on with it. And People don't seem to care. They they just think I'm weird. I just was, looks weird, you know. <laughs> Nobody's that's laughing. all right. You be weird. Yet. You know, I'm, but, I'm you know, weird I'm, too. I'm, after all, none of these masks they're wearing are waterproof, which I don't understand. Why wouldn't they be waterproof? 
So some of the um, scrub companies, um, like medical scrub companies, have developed um, some masks that they're um, that are made out of the same material that the scrubs are. And a lot of the the newer type of, of scrubs have a water repellent quality right. to them. Right. Um, and so um, I have ordered one. I have it hasn't come in yet, uh, but it you know I'm. I'm interested to see how it's going to feel um, on my face and how actual resistant it is um, to that kind of kind of thing there. But there, there's some out there that have that water repellent quality to them. Right. Does do my glasses protect my eyes at all? So they're not. The CDC is not qualifying or not not stating that glasses are um, uh, an approved method. Um, so healthcare right. workers that wear glasses are still wearing a goggle or a face shield. Um, over that, just because things can go, you know, around it. Again, for the for the general public, you know, just kind of making sure that we're all masked and that we're staying at least six feet apart. Um, it would right. be very difficult for a droplet to get from a masked individual into someone's eye from from six feet away. Um, so that's oh, okay. kind of the purpose that's of the point. the distance. Right. That's a great point. Thank you so much. That's a big help. I feel. Um, a lot more confident now. Thank you. Good. You're welcome. Thank you for giving us a call. And we're going to hop on over and talk to Edward in Jackson. Good morning, Edward. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing fine. I have a comment to make. This has nothing to do with right. uh, I would like to thank my fellow citizens for missing the most important part of the education they got, the ability to think for themselves. To be able to evaluate that we are in a serious situation and listening to people who are either ignorant, who are trying to politically sway them to do the wrong thing. I cannot believe people cannot evaluate the seriousness of, and they stick to these little guns about not wearing the mask and I'm doing this. And I, uh, there is something failing with the educational system. That, that's the whole problem right there. It has nothing to do with anything else. And then he listened to the uh, people who are trying to politically sway them, and they don't have the ability to reason one way or the other. And uh, I wish them well, but I wish everybody would wear a mask and, and stay away. But obviously, uh, that's not going to happen. And I don't, I don't believe in my opinion this virus is ever going to go away, unfortunately. Uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your story with us. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Um, out there and people, you know, are struggling with what to believe, you know, I just say, look to your medical and public health experts um, as much as you can to kind of filter through some of that information. All right. We're going to go quickly to Joe this morning. Hello, Joe. Yes. Hello. Um, let me ask you a question. Uh, when a baby, and I'm sure you know a lot of babies in, in your profession uh, as, as a doctor, your doctor, right? I'm a nurse practitioner. Oh, a nurse. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. When a baby crawls on the floor and picks up mm -hmm. things, and you've seen it, and I've seen it, they pick up things off the floor, they put it in their mouth, right? And it's very dirty, and they still do it all the mm -hmm. time. Okay. What would happen if you took that baby and you put him in a bubble where he doesn't get any kind of germs at all, and then finally when he's released, what would happen? Gotcha. So we're almost out of time. So 
that, I would kind of refer you back to last week's show when we talked about the immune system, um, because it does take exposure to different things to build up an immune system. But staying at home, you're still being exposed to your household um, antigens and things that are around there. So wearing a mask and quarantining is not going to to depress out the immune system, which I think was probably the the uh, way that question was kind of leading in there. Um, so there's protection of infection and then there's development of the immune system there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.